The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's up, friends, and welcome in to the Varsity Club Podcast. Derek Peterson here. No Greg Smith today filling in for him in a Packers shirt. Jacob Badilla. Hi. How are you? I'm pretty good. How about you? Uh, my hamstrings, I would rather, I would, I would like to give them up. <laughs> I think there are a lot of people that feel the same way. Um, on, on the podcast today, we're going to talk uh, NBA draft. We've got James Palmer Jr. and Isaac Copeland that still have their names in for the draft. The deadline to pull their names out and be eligible to return to school is May 30th. As of now recording this podcast, that is five days away. So we'll get into their decision. Uh, I'll ask Jacob what he thinks they're going to do and how that'll affect the team going into next season. Um, We're also going to talk about our favorite off-season stories uh, because content dries up and we like to create our own stories. Um, So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Greg Smith is out, so no recruiting updates today, but he's got Big Red Recon posted uh, on site. So get over to hailvarsity.com and read that. Also, Brandon Bogle's got a really good series uh, looking at the losses from... Scott Frost's first year one at Central Florida and kind of what we can learn from those. So read that as well. Um, let's talk about our, let's do our little intro, I guess, because we were talking about this in the office earlier before we started recording the podcast. And we were talking about it a little bit on Slack. How fun would like a media games combine <laughs> be? Like between all of the Nebraska media, like put them on a football field and have them go against each other or put them on a basketball court and have them go against each other. It would be really interesting, especially considering the various ages and demographics that we have in just kind of covering this program, I guess, all, all the all the teams. Demographics, it's with, with Aaron now being gone, it's 100%, well, not counting Greg, it's 100%. <laughs> White guys. Oh. Who who would win? If we're talking about outlets, who would win a game of football? Yeah, going off the top of my head, that would be tough. I know it wouldn't be me. So we can No, I'm talking about like teams. Oh, teams. Tro- like geez. like the Lincoln Journal Star versus the World Herald versus Hale Varsity versus Husker Online versus uh twenty four seven. I feel like Robin would be pretty yeah, formidable. Yeah, he's I think one of those guys that's good shape, works out a lot. Um there aren't a ton of guys like that, I don't think. Like, you got a few people splashed in here and there. I mean, if we throw in some of the, the TV stations as well, I mean, a guy like Thor Tripp's a big dude, pretty good athlete. He can um, throw it. <laughs> um, he, play, he was a baseball player, I believe. His game of catch with Stanley Morgan was pretty fun. Yeah. So, so we were, and we got to talking about you. Yes. Because we we're curious, I think it was uh, somebody else that works on the social media side of things that said, um, if I had to put it to a competition in just Hail Varsity, I would say either Derek or Jacob. And we started, I was like, Jacob, I don't know how, I want to see Jacob play basketball. Like I want to see yeah. him like play a sport because he strikes me as the guy that would be really clumsy, but would also sit in the corner and bury you with threes. Yeah. Is that accurate? Kind of a little bit. I'm like 
super inconsistent. Um, like all, I, I'm not athletic at all. I can't jump. Um, not super fast, but okay. I'm, so that part of the evaluation is, is yeah, accurate. Yes. Okay. Um, I, I am. Is that just you being modest? Not really. I mean, okay. I, I don't. Somehow it worked out that um, I got the brains, and my brother ended up six four, six five, and the ability to dunk and all that kind of stuff. I never, I didn't get any of that. Um, it's like me and my brother. Yeah, he's five years younger than me, and he's like five inches taller than me. Well, he's seven and a half years younger than me, and going going to play basketball in college next year. So that's really cool. It's upsetting, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I he, he passed me up. I mean. I'm trying to remember how long ago, but passed me up a while ago, and then it, it's been tough sledding and one on one ever since then. Because um, I used to be able, <laughs> I used to be able to bully him and kind of finish in the post, shoot over the top of him. I so anyway, back to my game. Like I've got a really unorthodox game because, again, I'm not fast, not explosive, so I've never really been able to get to the basket cleanly and like just finish with the layup or whatever. So I got a lot of like uh, floaters and scoop shots. I got one friend that anytime I'm like driving the lane, he's yelling scoop, scoop. <laughs> um, so, and I am a pretty good shooter. Um, I'm streaky. Like there are times where I'll go like recently I had like played like three days um, in a week and it was like seven out of nine from three um, in a couple played of games. Three days and you only took nine threes. Uh, I, I didn't. Um, trying to it wasn't three it was like two days in a row after like having like three weeks where i couldn't hit anything oh um but like i was just burying everything and then played a couple times this week and actually came out was on fire the first day and then yesterday um didn't really get anything going i didn't get the ball a lot i was just kind of role player out there and that's kind of what i do like i'll i I actually move the ball, which is rare in pickup basketball. I, I set off-ball screens. It's also rare for the 2018 postseason Golden State Warriors. That, that Zing! Is, yes. I'm setting you up for that. I'm glad you took it. <laughs> um, I try to play healthy. Like, I'm not fast, but I'm smart. Like, I know if a guy is left-handed and, like, what his go-to moves are with a lot of people I play with. So I at least give effort and try to take away the easy stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm just kind of... I'll have my moments where I get hot and um, start burying stuff and um, have some stuff falling, but a lot of time I'm not one of the major scorers. Um, so Greg Smith is calling me a rat on Twitter right now. <laughs> Fair. So I'm going to say Greg probably isn't going to listen to this podcast because Greg decided that he didn't want to come in and be a part of this podcast today. So. Yeah, we're trying to get the whole band together, but nope. It's fine, Greg. Yeah. Call me a narc. That's fine. Let's talk about James Palmer Jr. Because his game is a little bit kind of like you described. He's not explosive in the traditional sense of a guy that you would – a two-guard that you would think of in the NBA. Um, But he's got scoring ability. He's got skill. And his name has been eligible for the draft or in the draft for a while. Yep. What do you think he ends up doing? He's got five days left to decide whether he wants to stay in the draft – and possibly be like a, a second round pick yeah. uh, or come back to Nebraska? What do you think he does? Uh, basically everything I've heard from whether it's Miles talking or people I know in the program, whatever, I think they're all kind of thinking that him and Isaac Oblin are both coming back. Um, they think they're going to bring the bring the whole band back and run it back another year, see what they can do. Um, I, all along I felt like Palmer was more likely to return than Copeland. One, because I feel Palmer has more to gain with another year. I think he's closer to the NBA radar. Like he, with that kind of nine, eight, 
nine game stretch that he had um, later in the season, like he kind of played himself onto. We saw him pop up in a couple of like draft pieces, like hey guys, look out for. He he wasn't able to keep it up, and part of that is because of his jump shot abandoned him. So I mean, if he comes back and shows that he can shoot better than thirty one percent or whatever he ended up for the season, I think he was at twenty nine from three. Yeah, that's not great. He was sub thirty, which is not. I mean, for a two-guard heading into the NBA that's not excellent defensively, you need to be able to shoot. Especially uh, considering he takes the shots anyway. Yeah, he does. Um, he was 3 of 20 in his last five games from three. That's not going to get it done at any level, college or pro. Well, it didn't get it done yeah. at the end of the season here. Exactly. And so I think he I think he, I think think he, he really does like this program. Um, he kind of feels at home with the guys. And I think he probably feels like they've got some unfinished business. And I thought uh, kind of coming into this process that Copeland was more likely to look to, to start making some money, um, considering his injury situation and his age and the fact that he's got his degree. But, um, right, I mean, I haven't heard anybody recently that thinks, like, no, nah, he's, he's going. Um, sounds like I think both those guys are pretty close, Palmer and Copeland. So I'd expect them in the next few days here, both, I think, to say that they're coming back. Yeah, when I talked to James uh, before the season ended, he seemed... I mean, this was before that they knew that they were heading to Mississippi State to play in the NIT, and, and, and he even then felt like they had uh, some things that were kind of left on the table, things that they wanted to accomplish that they didn't accomplish, and felt like, like you said, unfinished business. That was the takeaway that I got. And then Kenya Hunter left, and, and he, yes. was a, he was a... a he played a... a pretty big role in getting James here from Miami um, and then so when that, as well yeah when that news was announced I thought well this will probably complicate things yes um, felt the exact same way honestly actually um, actually I heard from somebody um, kind of close to it that said at that point oh yeah they're both gone and that the same person said that Xavier Johnson was gone as well um, and Xavier Johnson ended up being gone but it sounds like those two guys have kind of thought it out and like they're ready to commit to the program, not just being around Kenya. And I mean, that, that would be huge for Nebraska. If you can bring that whole team back, um, work on some of the, the things that held them back last year, add a piece or two here with a guy like Amir Harris, who they got to replace Xavier Johnson as a point guard in this freshman class. Um, they've got a chance to really accomplish something, especially they've got a more balanced schedule, I think, coming up this year. Um, some more opportunities on there. If they can take care of business, they actually do have a chance to make the tournament and potentially even get a win there. But they've got to work on those things that led to them kind of falling apart down the stretch. Definitely are not a Sweet 16 team. I don't no. think we could say they're a Sweet 16 <laughs> yeah, team. I, I would not go out on a limb and say that. Um, but I, I, I thought that they they had the talent and the ability to win a tournament game last year. I yeah. thought they had that ability. Um, uh, with the two guys, James, like you said, I think is definitely more likely um, is a safer pick to say he's coming back. But Copeland, because just when I think about, I don't think either of them gets taken in the yeah, draft. Exactly. And so if if you're looking at it from Copeland's perspective, would you rather go play overseas and try to have that route to the NBA, or would you rather come back to school? I don't, I don't know that that he has as much potential coming back as he would going and starting making money now. James, on the other hand, I think he could 
A, help them win this upcoming season, yeah. and B, improve his draft stock and maybe be like a mid-second round guy or be one of those two-way contracts yes. um, that teams get. If they both come back, what does this team look like next year? Uh, it's definitely, I think, a top half Big Ten team. I think a, a few of the teams that finish below them this year are kind of reloading. We'll have a chance to be really good. I mean, you look at Maryland. they got top 10 recruiting class in the country. Um, they've got a chance to contend for the conference title, and they finished behind uh, Nebraska this year. Um, you you got some other teams in there that I think um, will be better than last year, so the league will be tougher, but I think Nebraska will be better as well if they can. The, the big question is can they solve these scoring woes that have caused them so many problems basically the entire time Miles has been here, even last year with more talent than he's had the last couple of years. I mean, in the past, like it's understandable. You got guys out there that are just complete offensive liabilities and it's hard scoring three on five, four on five consistently. And that wasn't necessarily the case last year. Um, you, you've got guys that should be able to score, um, but they couldn't figure it out. It's bad shots, not being able to hit open shots. Um, that that shooting that was looking so improved early in the year kind of tailed off, at least from your guards. Okay, so here's where we disagree because when we talk about Tim Miles, you, I mean, you say he's the common denominator in all of that. The offensive struggles year after year, and it's since Tim has gotten here. But like you said, open shots, they got to hit shots yes. and they've got to create offense. So where, how does that change? Because you can't. Obviously, Tim has the one year extension. He's not going anywhere. He's he's back. How do how do you change that offense? Well, it go. You just it, have to hit shots. Well, it, it, and that, that's always been a problem too. Whether it's a whether it's a recruiting thing or development thing, they have not been able to field enough shooters to keep defenses honest. And last, like I was saying last year, you had Evan Taylor and Anton Gale come out light uh, blazing from deep. They tailed off. Um, Isaac Copeland couldn't make a shot earlier in the year. Um, in Big Ten play, he was a forty-two percent shooter. Um, and Roby was 40% shooter, um, just um, on smaller volume. He's more selective with the shots, but he's clearly improved. But you got to have somebody at that guard position, especially if, I mean, the biggest problem last year, I think, beyond anything else, was Glenn Watson Jr. And I wrote that multiple times because it just never changed. It was the same thing. He never kind of got himself out of whatever that that funk he was in. And if he can't hit shots... And if Palmer's shot isn't going in either, you got to have that other guy that's playing out there with them. To that guy's got to hit shots. And down the stretch, Gill and Taylor could not do that, and that was a big part of the problem. Because if you've got your two creators, there's no spacing for them, then it's going to be tough. I don't know how many times that James Palmer Jr. tried to get to the rim and found two, three guys around him. I also think that this team is a good representation of what's going to happen in this day and age of basketball if you don't have a top-flight point guard. If you don't have a point guard that can consistently knock down shots outside and also play make for other, yeah. other first teammates, yes. uh, because that has been a problem with Glenn Watson, is he can't consistently knock down outside shots, and he's just not a playmaker. Yeah, and that that's this so strange to me because I saw him come and I saw him play AAU um, back when he was in high school and I saw him play on that that overseas trip they had when he was a freshman and he was a dude who didn't look like a like a scorer type of point guard he was more of a distributor 
and that area of his game never really developed. Like he really focused on being more of a threat as a scorer, and then that the passing part of his game just hasn't really gotten there. I mean, he does. Does that have more to do with him playing off ball early on in his career? See, I I don't necessarily. I, I don't know what it is. I I have no idea what his whole development has been so strange because. He um, played a lot second half his freshman year. Couldn't really hit shots, but kind of had that mid-range, at step back that he could hit at times. Um, could get himself going. And then as a sophomore, he developed into like 40% three-point shooter. Like worked really hard on it. The shot looked better. He was hitting. I mean, he had some monster games. And this year, that just never happened. He had two, three good games all year long, if you're talking about efficient and really productive in terms of scoring and i was it the maryland game or the minnesota game where he had like 29 points it was the the first minnesota game he had um that yeah that was one of his best games and he had another one against a a non-conference team i think that um was lesser competition but yeah there only a few times where he scored efficiently and a lot and if you're not i mean 3.2 assists per game that's what he averaged this year that led the team. I like how we started with a uh, your two top scorers and your two best players come back. What does that mean for the season? And we, we went down a negative rabbit hole. Let's well, go the opposite direction. What if well but I mean yeah. to be fair, you said you, you started off they could be a top half yeah. big ten team, which I think they could. Um, let's go the other direction. If either of those guys doesn't come back or neither of them come yeah. back. What is what is the ceiling? What's the basement for this team? The biggest problem with Cope one, if he doesn't come back, is you you got to go find another player. You got to go hit the grad transfer route. You got to find somebody that can come and make an impact right away because you don't have bodies in the front court. Jack McVeigh is gone. Um, Dubio Keke is gone. So you've got Jordy Shimanga, who played better in the second half of last season, but still uh, isn't a guy that you can play thirty minutes a game and get consistent production out of. And you got Isaiah Roby. And then Tanner Borkart is your other guy in the front court. I mean, you've got Brady Hyman coming in, but he should redshirt. Like, you want that guy to redshirt to be able to add some muscle, get ready for the college game. He's not, I think if he has to play right away, he's going to struggle. He's been working hard uh, trying to get ready for this, but he's still not much over 200 pounds at 6'11. Yeah, I remember uh, another Brady. Uh, Brady Manick at Oklahoma last year. He came yeah. in and and he probably should have redshirted too because he was he's like rail thin. Yeah, and he played right away and he got stretch four. Yeah, he yeah. got bumped around a little bit and he got off to a great start, but I he wasn't able to kind of keep it up down the stretch, right? Um, just in terms of yeah, no, he, shots he, and, he tailed off down the stretch, yeah. and I think a lot of that had to do with not being physically ready. For exactly, the game. and it's yeah, it's not even about just simply getting muscled around. It's about being able to play against those guys for 30 plus games yeah. and being able to take that contact that physicality um i mean jump from high school ball to college ball especially at the high major level uh is it's not a joke like it is not easy and guys that come in and play that make a significant impact and play a lot of minutes as, as freshmen those guys i mean you see them every year but at the same time like the, those are Real elite talents. They're at Kentucky and yeah, Duke and North exactly. Carolina. Yeah, and heck, even Trey Young, he, I mean, is an extreme case because of the usage and everything. But even he kind of. Well, I think his had more to do with 
you know, not being getting getting keyed in on by everybody yeah. else and his teammates not really helping him. If so, if if Copeland leaves, but you get James back, do you feel better about that situation than you would if, say, Palmer stays in the draft and Copeland comes back? I do simply because Palmer's the better player, but I mean. I th- it's going to be tough either way just because you don't have a ready-made replacement for either guy next year. Um, and so I, I I think I'd rather have Palmer back and then, again, go try to find a grad transfer or something. The problem is there aren't a lot of those guys out there. Um, teams need fours. They need stretch fours. They need mm-hmm. front court help. So those guys are some of the, the kind of guys that go early. Um and there aren't as many of them as available. I mean, guards are a lot. You see a ton more guards out on the transfer market just because there are more guards. Um, so it's they're kind of in a tough spot. They really do need both guys to come back. Otherwise, they're just they're not. I, I don't think they win as many games next year without those guys or without both of those guys as they did. And um, so it's going to be tough, I think, to make the big dance even with one of those guys coming back. Um, and that's not a both. good situation to be in because Tim's quote-unquote contract extension was basically, okay, I'll give you one more year. Prove to me that you can do this again and keep building. Yeah. And by do it again, I mean, you know, win 20 more games but make the tournament and actually win a postseason game. Yeah. Uh, so if you're losing your two best players, that suddenly gets so much more difficult. Let's switch gears and talk about off-season storylines. What is your favorite? My, because when, when we get to this time of year, it's hard to come up with content. You don't have availability uh, unless you're like the big wig that gets to go hiking in the Grand Canyon. Um, <laughs> but availability kind of dries up a little bit. The storylines you got to you got to get a little bit more creative with your storylines. And so um, this is the time of year where you see like 85 billion top 25 preseason polls. This is the time of year where you see 85 million stories about like odds for games and spreads for games and things like that, that we don't know what teams will look like. And we don't like, how do you have a, like Nebraska opened as a a, a 17 point underdog against Wisconsin this year. Uh, Brandon Vogel and Hot Reads said that that was the fifth biggest since like 2003 or something like that my question is how do you set a spread on a game when you don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be for a team yeah that like um that's that's why i i don't pay much attention to that stuff um i mean i'm sure there's a lot of it is kind of accurate and to a certain degree like they wouldn't continuously do it every year if there wasn't anything behind it but at the same time there's so many teams that are in that kind of situation where you've just got so many unknowns at such important positions that it could go so many different ways and that well and that line is going to move so much between now and when is that game played in september or october or whatever and like (laughs) <laughs> my favorite one is and I will I will go I will die on this hill. Preseason rankings are trash. I hate them. I hate them so much. It's just a it's a way for us to produce content. Um but like 
I hate them. I hate perfect example of this. And it's it's a it's a video game, but it has real life applications because this happens in real life. So I was playing NCAA 14, and USC was number four in the country. I played them week one. I beat them with an unranked team on the road in week one. Three weeks later, they have one loss. My team is undefeated, and USC is still ranked ahead of me. <laughs> but it's because of preseason rankings. You, we, we build up these expectations for teams, and we put these perceptions around teams that this is uh, like the number seven team in the country. And then when, we, when they don't look like the number seven team in the country, they become like 13 or 14 and like bump down other teams that are more deserving. If we didn't have preseason polls, how long do you think it would have taken to get Central Florida in the top 10 last year? Oh. It would have taken less time. Maybe. So, okay, There, yes, it would have taken less. There's no doubt that preseason rankings do kind of shape the narrative and how we feel about teams going in. But even if you didn't rank a top, like in order, a top tw- uh, 25 or whatever, um, I think you'd still feel similar about teams. Like the, the teams that we rank as a top 5, 10, just based on what we believe their talent level is coming back, what they add, we're still going to feel teams like Georgia and um, USC and teams like that that bring in talent every year. People are still going to expect them to be better just based off that reputation, based off the star rankings of their recruits and everything. So I think those teams are always going to get the benefit of the doubt more so than some of these other teams. So even if you don't have, uh, again, that, that team coming out of nowhere outside of the top 25 that, that just starts beating everybody, um, I think people will still be more hesitant to kind of fully buy in, even if there weren't preseason rankings, just based because people are going to study it no matter what, whether you actually do it for rankings or just to kind of get an idea of what's out there. Um, it, it's so much of the college football discussion and basketball is all this stuff is about talent and how people see that talent on your team. Um, so I, it would definitely be different. I just don't know how much different. And um, I think it would be different cases um, for different. Again, a team like Central Florida. That's I mean, their, their average star rating compared to other teams, kind of coming out of nowhere. People would still be, I think, slow to jump on that bandwagon because it's oh, you got to prove it to me. You got to do it over a long period of time, like because that's a, that's the tough thing about football too is the sample size is so small. Twelve games is not enough of a sample size to have a really good idea of what something truly is, especially when you've got three, maybe four non-conference games, and then you go right back into conference and play conference teams the rest of the year. So you want to expand the schedule? <laughs> that, Eighteen playoff? <laughs> Are you I, on the Scott Frost train? Eighteen playoff? I wouldn't be opposed to it. I mean, I'm fine with six, eight, whatever. If they want to expand it, I, I have no issues with that. I'm not one of those people that are arguing strongly one way or the other. I like that we have gone to a playoff, and I know they're kind of locked into that from a contractual standpoint for a while. But yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, object to it simply because. Uh, again, like TCU a few years ago, like every year uh, it seems like there's a team that probably could win the whole thing that gets left out. And it may come down to one game where something crazy happens or, heck, it might just come down to 
the whims of the committee and what they choose to be important that particular year. So what are your what what's your favorite and your least favorite offseason story uh, that is only a story in the in the football offseason? That's tough. Like I don't I'm not great about like devouring content. Like I'm more of a headline type of guy and oh that interests me. Maybe I'll look at that. Um, I don't read everything that comes out simply because there are so many different ones and um, I like you were talking about. There's, I don't put a ton of value into any of them, um, so I I don't necessarily think I have one in particular. Again, I'm not a gambler. There so are none like, that grind your gears. This is this is your grind my gears segment. This is this is your time see, to vent about something that annoys you. See, I don't, I, I don't under. I, I'm not one of those people that complain about mock drafts and preseason lists and all this stuff because oh, oh there there's no i mean that it's worthless nothing the whole point is to drive discussion and that's most of the fun in sports is to be able to talk about what's happening um just kind of think about oh what what would happen in this case and um like this, the debate is a huge part of being a sports fan so I'm fine with any of this stuff that kind of contextualizes things that that kind of steers a discussion that's why I like Twitter so much. Is like you can find so many different people to talk about different topics with, and get into arguments, get into debates, what fun. Some some a little bit more contentious than others, but um, so I mean, there's nothing else really to do in the off season um, besides doing. I mean, it's list season for a reason because there's nothing else to actually write about really, especially when you've got a team like Nebraska who fails to qualify. For its conference in baseball, it fails to qualify for its conference tournament in its own uh, backyard. Yeah, so it's like there's. I mean, the season, the Nebraska season's over. We've got nothing, nothing to go to, nothing to watch. We're just kind of biding our time until something pops up. And I like how you let me go on like a five minute tangent about like preseason lists, yeah. and then you're like, I don't care. It's debate. Let's do it. Yeah. No, I mean, fun in sports. Like I'm not gonna tear people down for that. Like I mean, you gotta. So I think my favorite thing is yeah. the uh, results. So and so gained X amount of weight. So and so muscle watch is down to muscle watch. Yes. that's good. We'll call it muscle watch. Yeah, I mean that's not something I made up. That's is that an actual thing? That's a thing. Okay, that's been a thing for a while. Oh, it is. Yes. Oh, I guess I'm not paying attention to people's <laughs> muscles as much as I should be. Shame on me. <laughs> no, muscle watch is more about. Making fun of the people that do pay attention to that, I guess is. Um, but that, if you're paying attention to to it and you have a name for it, then it, aren't you in fact also paying attention to it? I mean, so you are also a part of Muscle Watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's all a whole big circular discussion here. But the, see, the nice thing about Muscle Watch this year in Nebraska is everybody lost ten pounds of fat and gained ten pounds of muscle. Yeah. So it's just just like that easy. Everybody's Everybody. vertical improved, and and the the explosive edge guys, those were impressive though. Yeah, like Colton Feist and AJ Forbes and Moses Bryant. Those those Colton perform- Feast. Actually. Feast. Yes, Colton. I am so sorry. Yeah, no, I did not know that either. Um, it wouldn't be a but... podcast if I didn't screw up somebody's name. <laughs> yeah, actually, it wouldn't be me talking if I didn't screw up somebody's name. Um, but yeah, those are like those are super impressive. Uh, those performance index sheets that they. That they've been tweeting out, those are super impressive. So I I enjoy that portion of off season talk. I know some people were uh, a little annoyed that all we heard about this this off season or this spring was how much weight guys 
lost, but I thought it was I thought it was interesting. If you're proud of it, be proud of it. I have yeah. to lose weight, and when I do, I will be super proud of yeah. that weight lost no. when it happens, which will be in like a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I admire people that can do that. I wish I was one of them, but it's a struggle. I think we're done. I don't think we have anything else to talk about. It's a slow Husker news week. Yeah. Um, hope, we can I mean, talk about the Black Friday game, but I don't... I don't. I mean, like, neither of us have really strong feelings on on the Black Friday game. Not particularly. No. I mean, see, I... Keep the tradition alive if you want to keep it alive. If not, there are other traditions that... Like, like Scott has shown clearly that he's not against building new traditions or starting different... Starting things differently. So... I'm 25 years old. I was born in 92. So, like, I wasn't, like, conscious of the Husker sports world when most of these traditions, I mean, most of them predated me and some of the ones that happened like in the nineties, whatever, I wasn't really paying attention to. So like a lot of these traditions that people grew up with, I don't have that same kind of connection to them because I didn't really start paying attention to Nebraska football until like two thousands. And that's coincidentally when they kind of started taking a nosedive. Going downhill. Yeah. So maybe it's my fault. Maybe I just need to stop paying attention to any Husker sports. Well, I mean, the year I came on the job, Nebraska had its worst year in like 50 years, so. Yeah. It's, we it's, probably shouldn't be telling people these things. It's the Derek curse. I mean, it's it's out there. Like, there's, <laughs> there's one guy that, uh, like, followed me back at Oklahoma, and, like, when I started, like, that team was a Final Four basketball team, and then I joined the beat, and they lost 20 games. <laughs> like, it's it's a thing that happens, so if. And then you left, and they get Trey Young. Yeah. <laughs> Tears. So if Scott wins like two games this year, then I might get run out of town or I might have to leave and then he'll, you know, win 12. And yeah, and I'm fine with you kind of covering up for championship. whatever. Um, I, thought, I guess I thought you were about to say you were fine with me leaving and I was like, well, fine, let's end this podcast now. No, I'm, I'm fine with you taking the bullets for me is okay. actually what I was trying to say and okay. kind of covering up for... Because I, I mean, I was in a serious rut there for a while as well in terms of the teams I was covering outside of Husker Volleyball. And honestly, that team is jinx-proof. Like, there's, I, I don't, doesn't matter how much power I have, I cannot overcome John Cook. Um, that program is rock solid. Um, don't jinx this, them. I, again, I'm just saying. This might be wood. Yeah, I was just, I'm them. not sure it is wood, but. Um, it's yeah, from I'm, Ikea, so I, probably not. I, I <laughs> Anyway, like I said, I don't think I can jinx them, so I don't know if that's enough evidence to say that I'm not a curse to the programs I've covered the last six years. Solid. Let's get three quick predictions from you, and then we will close out the podcast. Yikes. James Palmer Jr. comes back. Yes or no? Yes. Isaac Copeland comes back. Yes. Yes or no? Ooh. Yes. Ooh. Nebraska is a top four seed in the Big Ten basketball next season. Yes or no? Ooh. That one's tough. I haven't studied teams, all the teams yet. I know Michigan State will be good. I know Maryland will be good. After that, though, it's wide open. So let's end on a positive note. Yes. Ooh. And I'm going to hold you to this. This is the same person that was down on him all <laughs> this last <laughs> season. So, I mean, I'm, you, you can't accuse me of just jumping on the hype train. Like, True. Nebraska, think, football wins, Nebraska football wins seven games. Yes or no? Oof. Quick. You got to go quick. Uh, uh, seven. Yes, seven. 
I would have had to take the under if you went seven and a half. But <laughs> you heard it here um, first. Jacob Padilla predicting Nebraska will win more than seven games this season. <laughs> I did not say that. You said seven. Right? You did not say under seven though. So <laughs> that is going to do it for the Varsity Club podcast. Uh, we were going to end on that note. Jacob will not get to say anything else. Read HailVarsity.com, read Big Red Recon, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. I said you don't get to say anything else. You don't tell me what to do. (laughs) 